0: like you to op- throw it away no. I'd like you to open your Bibles or turn on your devices. It'd be better if you opened your Bibles. Um, I'm a man of the 20th century um, to Genesis chapter 48. And uh, as we read it, take a note of some of the words that are used. We're going to read the whole chapter. There's some interesting words. Well, I think they are. Yeah, Collingwood lost. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You're right. Beginning at verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Lutz, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. And I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road at Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now, as some of us know, Israel's eyes were failing because of his old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, May he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father. This one is the firstborn, put your your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. May God bless his words to us now.
1: Thanks, Graham. Good morning, everybody. It's not how you start. But how you finish that matters. I don't know who said that quote, but I have a feeling that it could be credited to more than one person. Uh, But uh, I'd have to say to you, as I read that and think about that, it's true. It's a true saying. Perhaps uh, even more so for the one who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For is it not a God-inspired desire that God puts in our hearts to finish our race well, isn't it? Even the writer of Hebrews says that we are to run our race with perseverance or run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us and certainly was the desire and the end game for the Apostle Paul who was able to testify, saying in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, I discovered online that uh, there's a Christian doctor called John Dunlop, and he's written a book, and the book's entitled, Finishing Well to the Glory of God strategies from a Christian physician I haven't got a clue what the book's about I don't even know who the author is so I can't recommend it maybe you can if you've read it but I do like the title it's a title I think that describes Jacob as he comes to the end of his life and in fact the same for Joseph this is what we're going to see as we come to the closing chapters of Genesis, chapter 48 through to chapter 50. And so uh, with that in mind, it's going to be a challenge and even a race, I think, for us to finish these magnificent chapters uh, within the 30 to 40, 60 uh, allocated minutes that we have for this message. So are you are ready? Here we go. And so let's pray. Loving Father... We thank you for these magnificent words. They're magnificent because you're the author of them. And you've got a word for us this morning. We thank you for this beautiful time of worship that we're enjoying today. And we pray we will continue to enjoy you as you move amongst us. As I pray you open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to what you want to say to us. And how it relates to each one of us. Thank you, Lord. And we want to confess we need you. We so need you. We desperately need you every hour. In fact, every moment we need you. Please, thanking you now in anticipation of your presence with us as we open this amazing word of yours. Speak, we pray, for our ears are hearing you as you open us and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of 147 years of Jacob's life, 147 years. I reckon it's worth noting how and what the God-inspired writer of the book of Hebrews records about Jacob's life, about the particular period of his life. Look what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21 about Jacob. Out of 147 years, the writer says this, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Is it not fair to say, even by just reading what the writer has said here in Hebrews, that Jacob finished well? And look too how Joseph is described. And that it was also toward the end of his life. So look at the next verse of chapter 11 of Hebrews, for example, Hebrews 22. "By faith, Jacob Joseph, sorry, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction concerning the burial of his bones. Did not Joseph also finish well? In chapter 48, as Jacob nears his death, he calls for his sons. He calls for his son, Joseph. And Joseph, I think, has an inkling what needs to happen here. So he takes his two sons with him, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, these guys would have been in their late teens to possibly early 20s at that time. And then Jacob does something a little unusual, I think. He adopts Joseph's sons as his own. Again, look at verse 5. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And I have to admit, maybe it's easy for you, but I found a bit of a complex picture in in this area here. But the Bible commentary, sorry, the Bible knowledge commentary explains it like this. Jacob gave the birthright to Joseph by elevating Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons. Joseph's sons born back, you'll see the history of that back in Genesis chapter 41, 51 to 52. So Joseph elevated Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, to the rank of firstborn sons thus giving a double portion to Joseph. They thus replaced Reuben and Simeon, Jacob's first two sons born to Leah. You know, as I said, it's not easy to understand, but I want you to hear the scripture explain scripture. So look at 1 Chronicles 5 and verses 1 and 2, and it goes like this. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler would come from him and did the ruler, The ruler come from him. Um, The rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. And we also know that in that chapter that uh, Jacob also blesses Joseph here in this chapter. But there's a far greater, more elaborate, I don't know, uh, an amazing blessing that uh, Jacob bestows upon Joseph in chapter 49 when we get there. But you know, as it's emphasised all the way through Genesis Even through Genesis, which we've been covering, God is at work in his world. He's got it all. Remember that old song, he has the whole world in his hand? He really does. And he's got your world, your world, yours in his hand. And we need to learn to leave it with him. Lord, take my life. How does it go? Take my life, let it be. Yeah, an offering to you. So... And in this chapter, we see God, out of his sovereignty, he chose Joseph's two sons. And he blessed them through Jacob. Again, let's look at what, it's, what the Hebrew writer says. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. I thought, when I used to read that, I used to think, what a beautiful picture. Here's this old man leaning on his staff, and he's worshipping God. It's just interesting, though, because the word staff used here in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 47 and verse 31 can be, and it most likely is the same word for bed. You might see that if you've got an NIV study Bible, there'll be a little note note there and it will say that same word can be used for bed. And it makes sense because this is where Jacob was. He was on his deathbed. He was there as he blessed Joseph's sons. And the blessing is again, it's it's a really interesting picture. Let's just have a look at that again briefly. So Manasseh, He was the firstborn. And so Joseph put him at Jacob's right so that Jacob's right hand would touch Joseph. That's the hand of blessing on the right. So Joseph put him at Jacob's right with Ephraim on the left. But Jacob, guess what he does? And I wonder if he could have had a slight grin when he did this. He crossed his arms and he gave the blessing of the firstborn to Ephraim, the youngest. Now, when Joseph saw this, Joseph was not amused. But really, did Jacob just do that for a little bit of fun? Definitely not. Definitely not. This was too sacred a time for that. Very sacred time. And I believe that Jacob finished well because he was guided and he was led by the God whom he worshipped even on his deathbed. As he bestowed that blessing on Ephraim rather than Manasseh. God led him. This was of God. This was the work of God's spirit. And I believe that that Jacob sensed the presence of God in that way. He finished well, and may you and I finish well like that as well, don't you think? How would you like to have your mouth filled with blessing and worship as you lay on your deathbed, just before you enter eternity, just before Christ comes to you, comes for you? Wouldn't it be lovely to have words of blessing and worship in your mouth as you meet your creator, your savior? He finished well. Well, God, again, as I said, in his sovereignty. He was going to give the greater blessing to Ephraim. And this is not, necess- this is, in fact, it's not. This is not the first time that God had done these kinds of things before. Because even in Genesis alone, it happened with Seth and Cain. It happened with Isaac and Ishmael. And of course, it happened with Jacob and Esau. I like what C.H. Spurgeon says in this. He says, the order of nature is not the order of grace. Isn't that lovely? The order of nature is not the order of grace. Jacob well knew this, for in his own case, it was written of him, written, the elder, pardon me, the elder shall serve the younger. The Lord's purposes are, must stand and you and I dear friend we will do well and we will finish well if we make the Lord's purposes our priorities in every single facet and dimension of your life seek first the kingdom of God make the Lord your priority in every dimension of your life don't make your own ask for his will to be done in your life like Jacob was doing here. Jacob finished well, I believe, because he was doing that, in tune with the Spirit of God. Can I ask you, are you in tune with the Holy Spirit this morning? Are you in step with the Holy Spirit? So much more could be done in this chapter, but we're going to move into chapter 49. And I'm encouraged that the Bible commentators call this a very difficult chapter. I think Brendan would have loved this. Well, I want to tell you, it's certainly full and it's packed with words of blessing. And in some cases, it's packed with words of denunciation as well. As Jacob then calls for his sons. Chapter 49 verses 1 and 2 goes like this. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. And again, is this not another example of how Jacob, at the end of his life, he finished well? Arthur Pink, in his reflection of Jacob, he says this. All through his earlier and midlife, Jacob was occupied solely with himself. But at the end, he is occupied solely with others. It's a fair enough reflection, isn't it? When you know we've studied the life of Jacob, you can see that he didn't start very well at all. But I tell you what, he's finishing well. I like what Arthur Pink said, but I'd also like to add, and he was also occupied with what God God in his sovereign will had also purposed. In this whole time when he was about to bestow a blessing on all of his sons. <clears throat> and obviously we can't explore you know, all that Jacob said to all of his sons in the time that we have here this morning. But I would like to just pull out a few of the gems that I believe are there. There's so many gems. Let's pick some of these out this morning and you can look at the rest yourself later on. We've already touched on the fact that, um, that even though Reuben was the firstborn... Yet because he defiled his father's bed, the blessing of the firstborn went to Joseph and his sons. What do you learn from that, folks? What what do we learn from that kind of thing? What do we learn from what Reuben did? Because I believe it's a solemn lesson to learn. And it's a lesson like this. You know, even though sin can be forgiven, and you know it is forgiven when you confess your sin, when you repent of sin, it is forgiven. But you need to do that. That's why I said sin can be forgiven, but it won't be forgiven unless you confess it, unless you repent of it, and you ask the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, Lord, forgive me of this sin. It grieves you. That's what repenting is. When we know in our heart it grieves God, we're not grieved because it hurt me and I've been caught out. It hurts because I know it hurts the God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what repentance means. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And even though that can happen for us, it nonetheless, sin's forgiven, but nonetheless it leaves scars. Do you see that? Some of us know that fact. It, carries, it still bears consequences, and it still carries scars. Though it be forgiven, <clears throat> it still has those consequences that we may have to reap, <clears throat> and it still carries the scars. So how important, how essential is that you and I, that we be aware of this, and that we tell our children, we tell, we teach, we talk with our kids... And with others that God brings across your path, but certainly our families, our kids, our grandkids, that we share with them as we sit with them, as we walk with them in every dimension of our lives, that we share our testimony with our children. It's what Moses was trying to tell them in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 19. Check out that chapter and that verse. That's Reuben. Let's move on, Simeon and Levi were both sons of Leah and there's not a lot of pleasantries that are said about them because both of them were quite cruel and obstinate as seen in their crime of murdering the men of Shechem and it was clearly done without Jacob's approval and I wonder without his knowledge Genesis 34 and yet it seems to me God's amazing grace his unmerited grace is extended to them in that Simeon's descendants were later absorbed into the tribe of Judah. Check out Joshua chapter 19 and verse 1. And Levi, Levi, after what he did, but surprisingly, Levi, and see the grace of God here, they became the priestly tribe. And yet having no inheritance of their own. And then I want to move on to Judah. We come to Judah and one wonders if the ageing and the dimming eyes of Jacob when it, came to, when it came to Judah that his dimming eyes and him being strengthened as he sort of propped himself up on his bed I, I wonder whether or not he felt that surge that his eyes lit up his voice lit up as somehow he senses this, this, this beautiful movement the surging of the Holy Spirit of God filling his mouth with words of prophetic blessing And it's amazing, these words. I've got to read them to you. Genesis chapter 49, 8 to 13. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub. Judah, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The sceptre will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he who to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Look at all the messianic prophecies and stuff that's going on in here. You see, while Joseph gets the blessing of the firstborn, Judah gets the blessing of the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lion of Judah. Just like John recorded in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. What a magnificent, awesome passage of scripture this is. Look at this, beautiful words, look. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. You should be able to say it, hallelujah, Lord, amen. Am I the only one excited here? Hey, I love... I love the Chris Tomlin song that's entitled, Is He Worthy? Have you heard this song? What a magnificent, uh, inspiring song. I will recommend this song. Check it out on YouTube. Check out the live edition of Chris Tomlin singing this song, Is He Worthy? The chorus reads like this. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole?" Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root, the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and glory and honour? Is he worthy of this? And we all say, He he is. He is. And that's how it goes. Is he worthy? He is worthy. He's the only one that's worthy of all honour and glory and praise. Why does he bother with creatures like us sometimes? He is so worthy. And then from verses 22 to 26, Jacob once again turns his attention to Joseph. Look at what he says about Joseph. Joseph, this is the longest blessing in this book. In this chapter, I should say. And I'm just going to read 26. Chapter 49, verse 26. About Joseph. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. Than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph. On the brow of the prince among his brothers. One commentator commentator points out that contained within these verses of Jacob's blessing upon Joseph are several awesome, amazing titles of God himself. Look at them. He's the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the rock of Israel, your father's God, the almighty Jacob bestowed on Joseph the greater blessings because he was the prince among his brothers. Cross-reference, have a look at 41 verse 41. Genesis 41, 41. And I can't help but treat you again with one of Spurgeon's reflections on this passage. Listen, look what he says about this. He says, the heart of the venerable patriarch was enlarged concerning Joseph he evidently felt that he could not pour out a benediction copious enough and truly if we turn our thoughts to Jesus the greater Joseph no language can ever express our desire for his exaltation Isaac Watson his hymn has well put it Spurgeon says Blessings more than we can give. Be Lord forever thine. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We've got to move on. <clears throat> From verses 29 to 33, Jacob gives instructions about his burial place and then finally it's his death. So 49 and verses 29 to 33 says this, Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave of the field of Machpelah, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham brought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, pardon me, he drew his feet into the bed. He breathed his last. Where have you heard that from? He breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Bible commentator Kay Strassner gives this great summary. The key to Jacob's happy ending is, was not mainly that he was happy, that that it was most obvious. He was thrilled to have his whole family together again, but that is not what was most important. What was important was that he finished his life in an all-out sprint, serving the Lord. Murmuring had been replaced with praise. Accusations had been replaced with blessings passivity and reclusiveness had been replaced with action and fear had been replaced with faith. So is it fair to say that Jacob finished well? I think time's running on, so I want to get to the 50th chapter of Genesis. So again, I want to mention just a few highlights here. Verse 1, what a magnificent verse. Verse 1 is such a powerfully touching scene of a son's love, devotion to his father. Look at these magnificent words Genesis chapter 50 and verse 1. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Powerful, isn't it? Some of you might be able to relate to that in some of your own situations. I've certainly seen that. A mother throwing herself over the coffin of a child just as it's lowered in the grave. It's powerful, it's touching, it's pretty raw. But you know, this is also a beautiful fulfilment. Just what Joseph has done to his father, throwing himself on his father, weeping over him and kissing him. This is also a magnificent fulfilment of what God said to Jacob back in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 4. Listen to what God said to Jacob back then. He said, I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And that's what he did. When he threw himself over his father, he would have just beautifully done that thing, just closing the eyes of his dead father. It looks so much, maybe I shouldn't get on that track, maybe, well, just quickly, it looks so much nicer. I've done it a number of times when I was in the ambulance service. We came to someone who was obviously deceased. It is much nicer to be able to just close their eyes gently. And in some ways, it's a, it's a message to the family that this is goodbye. Much nicer. It's, anyway, I don't know I said that. I just remembered. It just brought back those thoughts to me. Of Joseph closing his father's eyes. Some of us have done that. In verses 4 to 14, Joseph honours his father's instructions with Pharaoh's Pharaoh's permission. And incredibly, with a great entourage, they travel to Canaan to bury Jacob, and and then they return again. And I like what H.C. Leopold, in the Bible expositor, he says this, and it's an, it's an amazing observation. When you think about what's going on here in Egypt with Pharaoh, he says this, he, this commentator, he says, that the Egyptians mourned is an indication of the high esteem in which Jacob was held, both as a prince in his own right and as a father to Joseph. He says... Martin Luther points out that there is no burial recorded in Scripture quite as honourable as this or with such wealth of detail. And it is, it's just an incredible picture. And then you start thinking, when you get into Exodus, what an incredible change of events take place from these Egyptians. Look what happens to, the, to God's people. And yet God is at work. God's doing his thing. There's no question about this that Jacob finished well. He finished so well. And then we read from verses 15 to 21, Joseph's brothers. Now that their father was dead, what happens to Joseph's brothers? They become worried. They become anxious. They become fearful of what Joseph might do to them. As payback for what they did to him in their earlier days, in their earlier years. And it was the same fear that they had back in Genesis chapter 45 when they found out who Joseph was and the position that he held in Egypt. And as you can see there, Warren Rearsby, he makes a good point here. He says this, It is unfortunate that Joseph's brothers did not believe his words when he told them years before that he had forgiven them. In fact, their unbelief caused him to weep. And it's a shock to all of us. They illustrate weak Christians today who cannot accept God's word as a consequence. They live in fear and doubt. Fear not is Christ's word to us, just as it was to jo- just as it was Joseph's uh, sorry, just as it was Joseph's word to his brothers. Fear not. Hey, can I just ask a just a basic, simple question this morning? Do you fear death when that time comes for you? Will you be afraid or will you be kind of, I don't know, looking forward to the day? Do you have that hope, I guess is what I'm saying. Does death frighten you? Or do you simply seeing it as as the means of passing from this life into the very presence of Christ himself? Do you have that assurance this morning? What does John say? There is no fear in love. For perfect love drives out all fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We don't have to fear punishment when we die. If you're in Christ, punishment's not part of the deal for you. Jesus took your punishment on the cross. Therefore, there's no punishment for you. There's no condemnation for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why were these guys fearing? Because they didn't believe what Joseph told them. And look what he told them in verses 19 to 20 here in Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, he said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And look at this wondrous verse. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for my, for my sorry for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What, a magnificent, what, what magnificent words we read here, that they so depict what Christ was prepared to suffer for you and me. He also knew that by his suffering and his sacrifice on the cross by those who did intend to harm him. That he would accomplish, like Joseph said prophetically, the saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. Christ died to save us many lives. And I wonder if you are here this morning and you need to meet this Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you on the cross to save your life from sin and from condemnation. And God gives us this amazing promise. Do you believe this promise from John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, and that means you and me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because you see, Joseph's brothers were afraid that they would be condemned by Joseph, but Joseph reassured them. And get this, so does God. He reassures us today. Look at verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the good news is that we are saved by grace, by his grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 8. Let me keep moving on. In verses 22 to 26 are recorded the final years of Joseph and his death. And just like Jacob, he imposed an oath upon the children of Israel that they were ultimately to bring his bones out of Egypt to the promised land, thereby testifying to his faith in God's promises, as Hebrews 11 said, that he would bring his people to that land of promise. Joseph, like his father Jacob, lived his life and at the end, he finished well. And what's the application for you and me? Just, just briefly, some applications as we close. The application is the same as it was for Jacob and Joseph. And, this is, and it's this, that they had a love for God. They had faith in God. And they walked with God. And they finished well. And my brothers and sisters, may you and I have that longing and that desire to do likewise. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. I know it's been a, a bit of a sprint through these three chapters But thank you for the nuggets, the gems, the treasures that you have for us in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to feed on those even through this day and into this week. Help us, we pray, to reread, to check out these things that have been spoken this morning and to savour them and to, Lord, do business with you personally because you want us to finish well. Most of us, Lord, didn't start too well. But, Father, you don't hold that against us, but you do do keep us accountable for how we finish. And I pray for all of us that we finish well, like Jacob and Joseph. And, Father, we give you all the glory and the praise. We thank you for your amazing grace and your sustaining, powerful presence with us day in and day out. Thank you. We commit ourselves to you, and we thank you for your hand upon us as we've been working our way through be it that it's been a bit of a sprint through the book of Genesis, but thank you for that, uh, this precious book that's so full of, of these marvellous gems and blessings that you have given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.